Oh, ye of stuffed stomachs, welcome back to Riffs That Changed the World, Thanksgiving Spectacular, a podcast about falling in love with music. Today is all about that lovely combination of tasty leftovers and musical obsession. Mmm, peanut butter and chocolate. We rejoin Eric Deneen of The Motor Control to talk about artistry and what it means to be a frontman in today's and even yesterday's music industry. We explore the dreaded learning curve that all guitar gods must go through, the drive to be that cool frontman, in his case, Jim Morrison, and a couple secret tips for better guitar playing and avoiding stage fright, ultimately ending with where it all started with the compulsion to write songs, damn good songs that make your mother proud. Thanks again for spending some time with us in this lovely Thanksgiving Mine's been full of connecting with loved ones and managing my stomach's fullness meter to keep it from going into the red. I hope yours was just as successful. Anyway, let's bookend this holiday, and here's Eric. All right, we are back with Eric Deneen, and uh, we just received help, and uh, we're all better, so it's all good. (laughs) But his, the help actually Eric was looking for was he needed to get this shit out of himself. He needed to create. Absolutely. He needed Absolutely. to you know make make music and fall in love. And so my Absolutely. understanding is you started doing that pretty early on. You were only like 15 or so. Maybe maybe talk about that. What was the decision like? Yeah, yeah. So I I was uh, given my first guitar that I still have and play to this day. It was a Yamaha <gasps> acoustic. What is it? Yamaha? Okay. Yamaha Black. Uh, acoustic. Yamaha. Yeah, and it's um, okay. I wrote I've written a lot of tunes on that on that um, <laughs> guitar, but it was given to me by my dad. My dad was starting to do um, like comedy music, like he at one point was doing like a Steve Martin-y kind of thing. Oh, cool! And um, banjo then he kind of decided banjo? he played a banjo. Yeah, he did. Oh, for hey. a while. There you go. But um, I think he I think he I don't know if he ever actually got any good with it. I know for a little while he was getting pretty okay with guitar, but then he decided it wasn't for him, so he gave it to me, and. Um, it basically sat around for a year while I made friends with it because guitar is humbling when you're a kid, you know, it's, it's hard to make it sound good the first couple of times. And so I just like, it literally sat in the corner of my room staring at me, you know, and, and eventually I just said, I'm going to do it. And so I started picking it up and I tried taking lessons and I just like the last thing I wanted at that point was more homework. So I, like I think I took like three lessons and then the really nice hippie guy that I was taking lessons with was like, dude, you should just, he's like, you're clearly not digging the lesson thing. You should just do this. And I was like, cool. You know? So I, I just, um, you know, this precipitated the trips to the library to get my hands on, you know, music. But there had to be something driving you to do it. Cause it's, as you said, this is not just, Oh, pick up guitar, learn chords, play and sound awesome. It's, it's, painful and annoying and frustrating mm-hmm. and you got to yeah. go through a lot of that before the right, other right. thing and so what was the yeah. the drive i think part of it was the jim morrison poster on the wall that we talked about <laughs> earlier you know like part of it was just like you know just you you want to be cool and you know you want to yeah. meet girls and you want to yeah. like i mean i will say though you know, I remember on Sunday nights on the radio, um, there was a blues show. 
And um, I remember the first time I heard like Stormy Monday and like, you know, um, Elmore James. And I heard those tunes for the first times and I really loved them. I really liked old blues right away. It was something about the simplicity of it that I really dug. And I knew just from hearing people talk about it, that blues was like three chords. You know, that was a thing that, you know, even maybe Bono said it at some point. Someone was like, you know, three chords and the truth. And so I remember thinking, I'm going to learn three chords. You know what I mean? Like I'm going to learn, I'm going to pick up yeah. guitar. I'm going to learn three chords and then I'll know how to play a couple tunes and uh, whatever. And then you learn those and then you realize, oh, it's only one more chord and I can play this tune. And then I can, you know, so you get sucked Were in with that a little bit. Were you at the time too or no? Um, I would sing alone. Okay. But I could not sing in front of anyone. I, I was... Okay. In but fact, you were I'm, trying to sing. Yeah, though. I mean, you, you actually were verbalizing. And because so many people, when yes. they start playing guitar, you just lock down. You're like, I can't do anything yeah. other than play with fingers. That's it. Yeah, okay. No, I immediately started singing and playing, but I I could not do it in front of people. I could play guitar in front of people, but mm-hmm. I could not sing in front of people at first. It took me several years to get to that place. Like, um, But I could play guitar, you know, like if someone else was singing, I could strum the chords at first. Um, yep. And I and what I learned was, and this is a tip for anybody learning guitar. Um, I was fortunate enough to um, have a, a guy who um, worked at the local music shop. His name was Rich Penny, and if any if he hears this, Rich, get in touch. He was just the greatest guy. I mean, he was so cool to me. I mean, I would just literally show up and be like, you know, hey, I didn't even get the guitar at his shop, but I was like show me this, you know, teach me this. And he was just like, okay. And he would show me stuff. And, um, just a, just a real sweet dude. He, he was like a constant source of, uh, you know, guitar info. And then later like life lessons and stuff, but he worked at the local music shop and he was just would, you know, I would show up and be like, dude, can you explain to me what this chord is? And he would, he would show me and stuff like that. So that was, uh, a, a, another great resource that I kind of had when I picked it up. Yeah. Especially back in the day, that was it, right? You would just by hook or by crook, figure out something from somebody, read something, somebody knew something, you did your thing. And it was always, it it was always fun about learning guitar. Then it was always so uneven. Like I'm amazing because I know a thousand guitar chords, but I have no clue how to put them together. Or, you know, I know how to do lead guitar, but I don't know what rhythm guitar is. You know what I mean? You just have these big, huge ass holes in your knowledge of what guitar was or wasn't. Absolutely. uh, Yeah. So that was me. I I just said, oh, so what I was going to say, my tip was that you, you know, I would learn a chord and then I would just like muscle memory, just like literally just sit in front of the TV and just make a C shape like over and over (laughs) and over. Like this, you know, just watching TV, not even listening to the guitar, but just getting my fingers to do it. And so I did that with like all, you know, the basic stuff. Uh, also tip, learn the shit out of the key of C in guitar, like all of the <laughs> chords in that key, and then worry about moving on to other stuff. Because if you can have that whole key down, like all the, the eight, you know, that you need, then it'll be way more fun. And then you can just bring me other, you know, because people tend to like learn the chords in like whatever order the That's book true. wants to give you. That's but true. if you just learn those eight, right, instead of just jumping to another three <laughs> to play another song and another key, get those eight down real, real solid. And, and then, then when uh, should they learn the yeah. Phrygian mode? When does the Phrygian mode come in? Never. Should <laughs> never learn that. Locrian? Can we do some yeah, Locrian? No. I love jazz to listen to it, but I, I've never had any 
interest in being <laughs> jazz. Yeah. You could go it's down. Just, you could go but I do so down it. the rabbit hole if you yeah, want yeah. to. But neither here nor there. Yeah. So you're wanting yeah. to make. I want you to make music. So you're learning guitar yeah. and you're singing yeah. by yourself. And then what happens? Mm-hmm. I'm learning guitar. Oh, I, I'll tell you exactly what happened. Uh, my high school girlfriend, Karina. Karina, if you hear this, happy Thanksgiving. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Her her guitar player, she had a little band that I was so jealous of because they just looked so cool, and um, I wanted to play too, but I you know I just wasn't there yet. And um, her guitar player quit, and then she was like, "Do you know anyone who plays guitar?" I was like, "Well, I kind of I kind of play guitar. I'd been doing it for a little over a year at this point, so I I could play their stuff. I didn't. She didn't know that. And then I was like, "I'll play guitar for your band." So I played guitar for her band. Um, the name of the band was Karina uh, third, and the Waves. Third, third dog from the left. I don't know why. Oh, I wasn't there for that meeting. I don't know where they came from. But anyway, so we played like two shows like at high schools or something like that. And then that was the first. Um, I wrote a song and I wanted to play it with the band, but I didn't want to sing it. And so like, okay, sing it so we know how, you know, we can see how it goes. And I went like, Ugh, like nothing came out, you know? And then like two weeks later, I just worked it up in my head and I was like, basically, and this is how I, you know, recently had a friend, my friend, um, Rachel Hawk just started a band and she was talking to me about this. And what do you do if you have stage fright and uh, happy Thanksgiving, Rachel, if you listen to this. And she, uh, she was asking what you do. And I said, basically you just, you have to get it in your head that you're not the person that has stage fright. Like you make up your mind. I'm not that person. I'm the person that has no problem playing in front of people. And so that's what I did for like two weeks. I was like, I'm going to play it for these people. I'm going to play this new tune. I don't care. I'm just doing it. And then I didn't think about it. And I didn't make myself feel stressed out about it. I didn't beat myself up for being nervous. I just did it. And so I played it for them. And it wasn't great. And I don't even think we played it. But that was it for me. As soon as I did it the one uh, time, it was like, oh, okay. Awesome. Yeah, I per- now I have permission to, to do this. You just have to like, and actually going back to, we were talking before about like Johnny Marr and how he would walk yeah. around with the headphones. I remember reading at one point, this was years later, but I remember reading an interview with Billy Corgan and he talked about writing songs and he said that he would visualize himself performing the tune and then he would write it. And I still to this day do that. <laughs> that like is I awesome. visualize, I'll sit down and I'll be like, okay, I want a tune that's like mid tempo. And so I'll picture myself kind of playing a mid tempo song and then I try to zone out and then your body, like, just, it's like riding a motorcycle. You look where you want to go and you just go there. It's the same thing. You just tell your body, like, this is where I want to go with this tune. And it just, you're, it, it opens that trap that Tom Waits talked about of, like, you know, and your, yeah, the, the radio and your brain gets the transmission or something. I don't know. That, that's a great, great advice. Cause I, I, cause I was telling you about the whole Pink Floyd, uh, the wall or, or uh, Purple yeah. Rain and just kind of these visuals. That's what I always yeah. had were these visuals. And so I, yeah. in those songs are more about moods and vibes than they are about any given thing. And so that, that adding the next layer, which is putting yourself in that mix and, and showing up to, to, to sing it or, or play it or whatever else. I think that's a great point. It, I think it would also really help on the stage fright and whatever else. Cause like you've been there, you've done it, you know, you've been yeah, in your mind. Yeah. I had a really bad, our first real show um, was opening up for a Black Rebel Motorcycle Club. Oh, bullshit. And I remember. BRMC, I love those guys. Yeah, I love those guys. They were great. And um, that was one of our first big shows. And um, man, it was the first time, like, it was like standing room only, you know? And that yeah, was the that's, first time the deal. that I was, that was the first time I was like backstage, like, oh shit, like, what have I done? They like, showed up is, early. You know, 
to see the opening yeah. act. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, you know, it was a, it was a, that was a stressful one too. And I had to do the same exact thing. I just said, you know what? I'm not the guy that does that. I'm not, I'm not the guy that gets stage fright. Like that's mm-hmm. just, I'm deciding now that is not the dude that I'm going to be like, I'm going to do this. And so I think I got through the first tune and then it was like all good. Yeah, I, I imagine, was, you know, like once that was the only that time. Like, yeah. That was the only time post high school and getting through that. That was the only time that I remember being like, Oh shit. I'm feeling stage fright, like legitimately, yeah. like, you know, well, and for then, good reason. But that's the I thing. Could, I could see it, that being just, intimidating. <laughs> it was, it, but they were really nice and it was cool. It was all good. You know, it was all just like, I'd never, that was like our first, it might've been our first sold out show. And it was like, you know, you looked out and you're like, Oh, there's a, you know, this is, you know, so I, that was the first time I was like, like wow, I got to make a decision right now if I'm the stage fright guy or not. <laughs> Am know? I the guy? So okay, so we we started making music. You're doing your thing, yeah. But let's get to yeah. real real bands. So when did okay. you like start getting put together a, a real fully loaded band and 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 I assume with that fully loaded band you had in your mind's eye what you wanted to be when you grew up and what you expected from the band. So what, how yeah. did that go? I'm like, well, how do you get to that place to know that you have that kind of confidence? Cause you have to kind of fake it till you make it, I would think. So the first step is I wrote a song every day for over mm-hmm. a year because I was really, really fortunate and I had just the coolest mom in the world. And I mean, she was just the coolest and she would tell me if my songs were good. Like she, no bullshit, you know, I, I would write a tune and I would play it. And if she was like, play it again, I knew it was good. And if she was like, mm, then I knew it was no good. And there were not a lot of those played against at this point. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And so I was like, okay, if I really want to do this, you know, I got to do this. And fortunately at the time, um, I, my girlfriend, Heather, Heather, happy Thanksgiving. If you're listening to this, um, she was super, super cool. And, um, she would like help keep me on track and I would, I wrote a tune a day. And by the time I got through a a little over a year, oh, during this time I was auditioning for other bands. I just moved to Boston full time and I was like looking for bands. And so, you know, by the time I auditioned for this band that was looking for a singer, um, I had a ton of tunes I was really excited about. And so I joined this band and they were like, we want someone to collaborate on songwriting. And so I was like, sure. Just lied. <laughs> <You're> like, lied. <laughs> sure. And then I got in, I immediately was like, I'm writing all the tunes from now on. I hope you guys are cool with that. And they were not. But then, you know, we got there because they were writing tunes, but it wasn't like they weren't. Like, I mean, I was like a monk. You know what I mean? Like all I did was write <laughs> tunes. Like that's all I did. I mean, I worked at this at, a, at this point in, in my life. I was working at HMV in Harvard Square, their record store. And yep. in the jazz room, as a matter of fact, and I was nice. like, and I was writing tunes and that was my whole world, man. It was like, wow. that was all I did, you know? So for me, people that were like, yeah, I kind of write songs were like, nah, you know, you know what I mean? Like, this is my calling. Like, this is what I wanted to be. Like, my dream was to be like on those 45s, like the name of the tune and then the little songwriter name. That was my, you know, I learned to, I started singing and playing because I wanted to be a songwriter. You know what I mean? I that was it. it for me. And so I was like, you know, they were very cool and let me sort of take over when they realized that I was just not, this was my, what I needed. Was, uh, and, um, it'll be unrelenting. It's best to yeah, appease them just, or kick them out, but exactly. you cannot live with this guy in a limbo land. Exactly. I mean, we did write on, collaborate in a couple of tunes that I still really love. There's a tune called It's On that a songwriting credit is both me and, and Chris, uh, my guitarist at the time. Um, 
and that's one of my favorite tunes if you get a chance uh, it's on by baby strange but um for the most part i would come in with the tunes written because that was just all i did man i just didn't care about anything else songwriting was like my focus for years you know and um not to get out of order because you were going to ask me about my relationship with music but it feels like an appropriate time to talk about you know i will say like one of the reasons i'm so excited about this album is because uh, feel free to edit this into whatever order makes the most sense (laughs) but um but i will say that you know my relationship with music is in an interesting place because um i started out just obsessed you know i i had no plan b i didn't care about anything else and when we first started you know you would sell cds and it was going great and then all of a sudden napster happened and we weren't selling any cds anymore and it was and we would get the criticism that you know we were too indie rock for the majors but too major sounding for the indies and so it became clear at a certain point that oh and the other the other criticism i got a lot which i thought was funny and i still kind of do is that they would say my songwriting was schizophrenic because i would write too many styles because like every tune was different you know if you listen to like for example put out or even this record it's a lot of styles of tunes because I always wanted to be like a songwriter, songwriter. You know what I mean? Like I want to right, be like right. Bowie or the Beatles or the You're Kinks. You're like, I, I know the that who, Bowie you know? guy, he did a couple of these yeah, like styles I, of songs. Exactly. You know, so I never was that guy that was going to write 20 songs that sounded exactly the same. And so I had to sort of make friends with that. And, and for a little while, you know, my music, when, when music became a thing that didn't live up to my idea of what being a rock star was, you know, I kind of hated music for a little while. I had to take a little break. I took like a decade off and I'm I'm a filmmaker. That's a, I started writing, you know, movies and working in film. And it actually has been great because now I have this great relationship with music where like we're not obsessed and married and at each other's throats now. We have like live next door and we're like co-parenting. And so me and music have <laughs> found our, you know, way to do it. And it's been, it's been great. It feels really fun and healthy and I can just enjoy. Cause like, I'm proud of all the records I've made. I'm really proud of all the tunes that I've written. Like I, I listen to my old tunes and I'm like, Oh, this is you know, I genuinely good stuff. And, and so the fact that for a little while I couldn't do that really bummed me out. You know, because I was like, yeah. I was disappointed in them. They, they didn't get me where I thought I wanted to be. You know, they didn't get me on the Jim Morrison poster of all the high school kids <laughs> walls. And so I was like disappointed, you know, and I had to get to a place where I was like, wait, you know, that's not the song's fault. That's not my fault. That's just is what it is. You know, this is my journey. It's different, you know, than Jim Morrison's. And that's cool. And, and now I'm at a place where I love it. You know, I listen to these old records and I just like, you know, we made a record called Dirty that's like a little naive maybe now and and um i love it you know i I hear the parts that worked you know so that's and this record is the same thing like it's it's a mishmash of a lot of different styles and and i just like i put it on and i'm like man this just feels right you know so well maybe maybe you can explain just so we can figure finish out the segment because i I, you absolutely bled into the the next one but it it is core (laughs) to what it means to be a musician though no no but i think that's it's it's relevant to both very much relevant Mm -hmm. to both sure but help me understand um Mm -hmm. because what what i'm not getting is the the blackboard nails are they the same members as the motor control or are they some of the same members or not because i know some of the songs meaning the songs that are out on this motor control were written during the blackboard nails time frame correct yes so the blackboard nails essentially was me singing and playing guitar rosie playing bass um ryan playing drums okay. and then eventually i kind of realized that 
live performance was more fun for me just holding a microphone because I've become over the years like being, you know, at first being a front man was like, it took me a while to get into it. And then after a little while, there's an element of connecting um, with the crowd that I loved and missed being behind a guitar. So eventually we brought in a couple of guitarists, but at this point they were basically playing the parts that I had kind of written. So even when the band expanded to four, and I believe at 1.5 people, it was really kind of just still the three of us because all the parts were written already. I got you. And then, um, and then with this record, um, because the people that came in to play guitar for the Blackboard Nails were people that we were close with, like Mark McCarthy, who was in a band called Say When, and Dave, who I mentioned from The Flow. These were guys we really liked and really respected them as musicians. So we were kind of like, okay, we're going to make this new thing. And while we make this, we, we want to have you come in as a collaborator, not just playing my parts kind of thing. So this record is um, does feature me, Ryan, Rosie, and also Mark and Dave come in as more of you know, collaborators than just, you know, hired kind of guns. Ah, okay. So, um, yeah, so it is the same people, but it is a different vibe. Um, and also the blackboard nails is, um, a period we didn't work with Tom Polche. Um, Tom Polche was the original guy that you worked with from the front. Yeah. Yeah. He produced all the baby strange stuff, almost all the baby strange stuff. And he sort of came back. So the blackboard nails has its own kind of vibe. Um, and it also was like, you know, purposely trying not to be baby strange there was a little bit of a asterisk mm. so we because ryan and i coming from baby strange baby strange was a little bit of a thing in boston like we played like five nights a week for years i mean we were oh, wow. as ingrained in the local boston scene for years as you could be i mean we played all the time it was like we wanted away from it like you know <laughs> we really wanted to get away from this band and so we wanted you know, we started three piece and there was this thing called the rumble that we were in and and um we came in second to the Dresden Dolls, which was, that is like, a rap it was called the Rock and Roll, right? I don't know. It was called the Rock and Roll Rumble, and we came in second to the Dresden I know Dolls. The New York, we yeah, kind of really, yep. really kind of like, what? they're not really a rock band. I mean, I, I, they're great, but they're not really a rock band. And so we, the whole thing just left, the whole five years of Baby Strange left a really bad taste in our mouth in a way. Uh-huh. And so we started this band, the Black Nails, and we tried to play like, you know, we did three tours of England. We did, we played Canada a bunch. We played like around, but we tried to play Boston as little as kind of possible. We didn't do the rumble. They invited us and we said no. And there, we just were, we wanted to be separate. And and in a way it was great. And in a way it was kind of like, you know, it would have been nice to see what that band could have been if we didn't come into it with this attitude problem. It was me. I mean, <laughs> you know. And so- No, but this so is super was, helpful you know, context. It's super yeah. helpful context, and it makes a total sense, uh, especially yeah. with respect to expectation setting, where you were going and want to kind of have a little bit of a break to kind of reinvent and and get a new new sound. Or the uh, the highlight of you know one time we were in uh, there was a there was a magazine at the time called uh, the the noise, and at one point we did an interview, and I I said like in the interview I said we're not trying to say we're better than the Beatles, and the headline like the cover of the magazine said <laughs> oh, Baby Strange quote we're better than the Beatles, like that's how that's how toxic the whole scene was for us at that point. Like we were just you felt like John oh, Lennon, they're man, out to get us just like this. Yeah, they were <laughs> you like they're, John Lennon, they're, you know we were like they're out only to get us. Only he we, can understand you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> only, right? only John Lennon can understand you. Yeah, All so right, we were just I like needed a break. Do we have a uh, do we have a song for this one on the on the musician side of things? Whatever sound, whatever makes sense for you, Mike. All right, whatever makes sense for me, Mike, is what's coming up next. So we'll, <laughs> we'll, we will uh, we'll be back uh, after this one, and we will talk one last segment with Mr. Eric Deneen. 
This is where if you uh, were listening on Spotify, you'd be hearing Changes by David Bowie. But hey, we all can choose our podcast provider. So put on Changes, give it a listen, and come right back. Let's go to Bowie because he's my second favorite, maybe third favorite of ever. So yeah, Bowie's mine first or second, depending on my mood as well. Um, yeah. And actually, it's funny. Another thing that I was excited about this because I you mentioned in one of the other episodes um, that you watched uh, Hendrix do the Star Spangled Banner on oh. TV, and it blew your mind. <laughs> oh God! Yeah. So this is mine experience. Oh good, analog to that. I, I think I was like. 11 or 12 or something and i i watched um it was like the middle of the night i couldn't sleep i'm a terrible sleeper i used to i still mm. sing myself to sleep I, I don't know why i'm not i'm not a good sleeper but i um so like a lot of a lot of music i discovered was me turning on the tv at two in the morning and some weird show was on but um i remember watching vh1 ziggy stardust the motion picture was oh, on man. and um when bowie did changes I remember, I mean, I was, I was always a Bowie fan that he was like happening when I was young, like modern love was, you know, I was old enough to know a Bowie, but, um, you know, I'd never seen the Ziggy Stardust stuff before this moment. And when he got to changes, I remember there was a, definitely a spark happened and I, and I noticed that like, it didn't matter like that he was wearing the tights. It didn't matter the hoop earrings. It didn't matter. None of that mattered. This was a song that could have been Sinatra it could have been any like you, there was this was a song for the ages and it was like as high a level of songwriting craft as you're ever going to find yeah. and it was like you know had a nod to maybe my generation and it, it just was like one of those tunes that transcended anything and seeing an artist like Bowie who was so connected to his image and his style and kind of recognizing it so like even though you know there's some i, I could maybe you know life on mars or heroes or maybe my favorite tunes changes will always be that for me because i i learned in that moment like good songwriting transcends your image or who who you are as an individual because a hundred years from now someone will cover changes and it will be a huge hit all over again yeah that one could go through the ringer multiple times and absolutely. keep on popping back up absolutely as, as a number one hit i i sure i don't want to get started on bowie because i, I he is a musician's <laughs> musician yes and you could just follow him at every different stage and say, shit, if I could do one one hundredth of what he's doing in each of those different things, I'd be damn good. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. I, I, and, and God, how he sings. I just I, his voice is so amazing. And so, so. unique too. you can't sound anything yes. like him without sounding no. like you're trying to sound like <laughs> trying Brandon. to be. You, you, David you can't Bowie, do like, it. Yeah. And you're like, you're not as good as that. So, yeah, exactly. All right. So here's <laughs> changes by David Bowie. And uh you know, just go down the rat hole and listen to every damn last thing David Bowie did because every time you go listen to him, he changes and gets you into a whole different place, right? I mean, it's amazing, like, all the different avenues he goes through. says, this album, we're going to do soul, right? It's going to be R&B. This album, yeah. we're going to be trans... Yeah, so it's so great. Actually, it's funny that you mentioned that because Young Americans is actually my favorite Bowie album. It, it is. It's ugh, just amazing. Freaking amazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I sometimes will skip when he gets young horns Americans, and stuff going off. Yeah, yeah, because when he gets some of those horns and that just real chill vibe throughout the whole thing. And it, and I think it really, it, you know, lends sort of its own commentary to the genius of Bowie because you know you know because that so much of the backing vocals and stuff, but that was all Luther Vandross, and he he was yep. smart enough to say like, okay, this guy's a genius. Hired him <laughs> just to be a backup singer, but he this guy is obviously special, and so he let and you can feel that 
you know, the rea- the real R&B-ness that a Luther yep. Vandross is going to give you. And Bowie just said, okay, I'm just going to be, I'm going to ride this wave and made like a legitimate, as as much as, you know, a British guy can do R&B record, you know, it was like almost like <laughs> Dusty in Memphis kind of thing, you know, yeah, just sure, taking ownership sure. of this thing. And uh, yeah, I love that record. All right. Now changes by David Bowie. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> 